So good morning. I wish I could convey to you the joy it brings me to be here with you. I've heard David through the years brag about this church. I listened to Michael on the drive over, wonder how I would rank it um, in terms of sheer beauty for churches that I've been to. And I started reciting while I've been to the Church of the Red Rocks in Sedona, Arizona, Shadow Rock in the North Face Mountains in Phoenix, uh, Angel Fire at 9,000 feet in the mountains of the Pecos Wilderness of New Mexico, First Congregational in the mountains of Colorado Springs. I want you to know I'm putting you at number one. (laughs) This is spectacular. So worship is never anything more than an honest attempt to place ourselves in the presence of the sacred. And I am truly in the presence of something sacred here, and it is a joy to be here. I bring you greetings on behalf of my fellow officers of the United Church of Christ, Jim Mose and Tracy Blackman. I bring you greetings on behalf of the 5,000 churches and almost 900,000 members that make up the United Church of Christ, all of whom, like you, are doing their best to simply share the love of the gospel. I also want to just say a few words about what an honor it is to preach here with and alongside David. David and I have gotten to know each other a little bit through the years. He is one of the deep thinkers. Um, But he's a deep thinker who has a true and genuine and authentic spirit of joy about him. One is is one of those hail fellows well met whose warm smile and and warm embrace is genuinely offered to all and has always been offered to me. David, thank you for the invitation and your continued hospitality. I've chosen this passage from the Gospel of Luke for a very particular reason. In some ways, I'm both a sales representative of the gospel and the particular articulation of the gospel that belongs to the United Church of Christ. And four years when the United Church of Christ went through a process of trying to articulate our shared mission, one of the questions we asked was, what's our purpose? And we did focus groups and interviews and surveys, trying to get as many voices from across the denomination to speak. And we wanted the answer to this question to be a scripture verse. I thought from the beginning that we would go with our tried and true, John 17, 21, that they may all be one. That is the motto of the denomination, but we thought differently. We answered the question, what is the purpose of the United Church of Christ, by saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And why not? In the book of Deuteronomy, which is a long recitation of the laws that we must carefully follow, in the midst of that is this beautiful summary of the law that reads. It's called the Shema. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And when Jesus was approached by a lawyer and asked what the greatest commandment was, he didn't hesitate. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. This, the United Church of Christ, declares to be its purpose. I used to officiate college soccer. And when I was young and started officiating, I had a mentor who said, John, if you ever forget what the specific rules are that need to be applied in any given situation, remember this. Always do what seems fair to you. It was his way of saying that if in all times and places I applied that standard, 
I would do everything that the rules required of me, whether I remembered the rules or not. I think Jesus is doing the same thing here. If you forget what the law actually requires of you, ask yourself, what looks and feels to me like love of God and love of neighbor? And if you remember that, you will not fail to do what the law asks of you. Now, there's a particular question I've been asking myself of late. And the question is this. How are we supposed to orient ourselves towards the other, however we define the other to be? And although this can be a complicated and nuanced answer to the question, I'm going to turn it into a binary. I'm going to greatly oversimplify this for the sake of an argument that I'm about to make. But bear with me here. The binary choice is this. We can orient towards the other, again, however we define that, with fear, and the fear that will generally then produce things like hatred and condemnation and anger, or with love and affection and appreciation. That's the binary choice. I fear that A united church of Christ that is chosen as its purpose to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as ourself was chosen in particular because we are living in and through a context in which an alternative narrative is asking us to orient towards the other with fear, with anger, and with hatred. Sometimes the other is defined as somebody whose race is different than ours, whose ethnicity ethnicity is different than ours, whose political point of view is different than ours. And if that were the case, it would be hard to have a UCC church because almost everyone I know has both Republicans and Democrats seated in it. And if we oriented towards the other, then the way this binary option creates, we would completely tear apart as the body of Christ. But you see where I'm going with this. In order to fully understand what I think is at the heart of this gospel passage, I'm going to introduce you to three women, Emily, Rosie, and Sama. And I hope at the end of this we can understand what has been all along the only gospel option, and that is to orient towards the other with love. And to do that is to live in its fullness what discipleship as followers of the risen Christ asks of us. So, Emily. I really don't need to introduce you to Emily. We all know her. She's my favorite poet. And it's Emily Dickinson. And I had been reading her poetry. I was an English lit major in college for years before I encountered this poem. I've not only never forgotten it, I preached a sermon about this in my second church and one of the women did a cross stitch, one of those precious moments cross stitch, with this poem on there and it now sits on the side of my desk and I read it every day. The opening line to it took my breath away. And the opening line is, I had no time for hate. That's one of the binary options. And Emily, as this poem plays out, is going to set up this binary beautifully for us. I had no time for hate. The grave would hinder me. 
For life is not so ample that I could finish enmity. Nor had I time for love. But since some industry must be, my little coil of love, I deem, is large enough for me. So here's the binary. You can walk through the world filled with hatred and anger and fear and orient toward the other with that on your heart. And guess what? You're going to die before you finish all that that hatred asks of you. And whatever it is you hate or fear and want to eliminate from your world or your life, you will not be able to accomplish before the grave claims your life. And that will have been your contribution to the world. But in honesty, she goes on to reflect, you know what? You can also choose to orient towards the other with love. And you know what? You're not going to finish all that love requires of you either. And if you have been a practitioner of love who has tried to eliminate things like world hunger or warfare or all of the evils that we deplore, you too will know that you're going to die before you finish all that love requires of you. But she recognizes that you've got to make a choice. And here's what she said. My little coil of love may not change the world, but it's large enough for me. And that's what she wanted to commit her life in service to. It is, I think, the perfect reflection of what Jesus is trying to suggest in this passage. If all you do is love your God and love your neighbor, you will do all that the law requires of you. And the world will be able to thank you 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 will have left it a better place so now I want to introduce you to two people I know you don't know Rosie and Sandra Rosie I met in October of 2015 just two months after I took office as the president of the United Church of Christ and it's one of my proudest moments we had recently just passed a general synod resolution that committed us to full partnership with the United Church of Canada. And a few months later, our board of directors, after meeting for three days, got on a bus and drove into Canada, where that night we were going to liturgically formalize the partnership and the relationship between the two communions. It's a wonderful evening. I wish we would do more of that across the life of the body of Christ. But we did it that night. And about a week before I left on that trip, I got an email from a woman who was a youth director at a church in upstate New York telling me that she was going to bring her youth to that service. Would I please take a few minutes to meet with them? Well, of course. How do you say no to that? So I'm on the bus driving to Canada. We arrive at the church about two hours early. I get off the bus and I am immediately meted by, met by one of the dignitaries from the United Church of Canada who began talking into my ear and telling me everything that I needed to do, everywhere I needed to be, everything that I needed to say and what order I needed to say it in in order for this 
full communion partnership to be legally formalized by the end of the evening and what I had to sign and when I had to sign it and with whom I had to sign it and where I had to sign it. And I did my best to take it all in. And in the process, I met my counterpart, Jordan Cantwell, in the United Church of Canada, who took just a few minutes to introduce me to her wife. And then she had to be swept away because we had all of these protocols to get in order. And the service went off beautifully. Jordan and I were in all of the right places at all of the right times, saying all of the right things and signing all of the right documents. So at the end of the night, we formalized the, the union. Then I went to a reception where I stood in a line and shook hands and smiled at people until my face hurt. And then somebody tapped me on the shoulder, and it was the conference minister from New York saying, our youth are down the hallway. Is this a good time to go meet them? And I said, yes, thank you. We walked down the hallway. Walk into the room, and there are about 15 young men and women. And... They light up when I walk in the room, something I'm still getting used to. And one of them up front, this young woman, actually sees a pin that I'm wearing on the lapel of my jacket, which is a comma in rainbow colors. And she just lit up. And I saw her, and she remarked how beautiful it was, and so I took it off and I gave it to her. And she held her hand out and just almost couldn't breathe. She was so overcome and then said, I can't take this from you, treating that as if it was the most precious thing she had ever seen. And I said, I think I know where I'd get another one. So she accepted it and she put it on. I thought I'd play with her just a little bit. I said, now, be really careful with that. My mom gave that to me on her deathbed. Oh, no, I can't take this. I said, no, 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 I'm kidding. We all laughed. And we took pictures, and for the rest of the moments that I spent with her, I could tell she was in a different world. And I had no idea what this was about, but she was clearly changed. Her whole visage shone that something had just happened to her. A week goes by. I get a second email from the director of that youth group and said, that was Rosie you gave that pin to, and let me tell you the backstory. Rosie's not a member of our church. Rosie's never been to church. Now, just stop right there. You're 13 years old, and you've never been to church. What are you doing in Canada on a Saturday night at a liturgical celebration of the formal union between the United Church of Canada and the United Church of Christ? That's your first choice? She had been asked by one of the friends of the youth group to go with her on this trip on a Saturday night, and I'm wondering... What's going on in a 13-year-old world who's never been to church that this is your first option on a Saturday night? But she said yes to it. And two weeks before saying yes to that invitation, she had come out to her mom and dad. Now I know a little bit more about why she'd never been to church. Because what has she heard her whole life from the church about the choices she was making? And yet she said yes to this. I want you to put yourself in her place and understand the risk that she took in saying yes to this. And that night, there in the service, stood the general minister and president of the United Church of Canada, who was there with her wife. 
And an hour later, the general minister and president of the United Church of Christ walks in with a rainbow comma pin, and she knew immediately what that meant. And he gave it to her. Our little toils of life. I didn't do anything but wear a pin that night. And the only reason I wore it is because this articulation of the body of Christ who has said that our purpose is to love the Lord our God with our whole heart, mind, and strength, and our neighbor is ourself, gave me permission to do that. And on that night, my little toil of love, our little toil of love, literally changed a life. Two months would go by. It was the week before Christmas. I got a third email saying, Rosie and her family and four of her friends and their families are now worshiping in our church And wait for it. Six months later, I get a fourth email from the same youth director. It's Pentecost Sunday, and it's two days after Pentecost Sunday when this email came, and it's a picture of Rosie being baptized at her confirmation. My little toil of life, I deemed, was large enough for me. Now let me introduce you to Sama. I knew Sama for all of 30 seconds, and she changed my life. And she taught me more about the choices and options we have when we decide how we orient towards the other than anybody I think I've ever known in my life. And I knew her for all of 30 seconds. I met her in Bethlehem one night. Behind the walls of the occupied territories. And if you know anything about the conflict between Palestine and Israel, you know that it is one of the most heated places on the earth where for more than two millennia peoples have been literally at each other's throats. And if there's streets anywhere on this earth where a six-year-old child has a right to fear the stranger, it is the streets of Bethlehem in Palestine behind the walls of the occupied territories. So she had every reason to be afraid of the stranger walking her streets. And this is how we met. I was walking down a narrow street in Bethlehem, cobblestone, tall buildings on both sides with vendors hawking their wares on these narrow streets. And periodically a car would try to navigate its way through that morass of humanity, and it wasn't easy. And I'm walking down that street when off a side street this minivan turns and begins to try to make its way down. And even as slowly as I'm walking, it's not going any faster than I am. And so the little child who had her elbows on the open window and was leaning out, holding a bottle of water and squeezing it, and then giggling with delight as the arc of water shot through the air, was close enough to me that one of those arcs of water hit me square in the chest. And her laughter turned to fear. You can see it on her face. She didn't say anything. But I knew what she was thinking. I'm in trouble now. And so to diffuse that fear and not knowing what language she spoke, I spoke the universal language and just smiled back at her. And she immediately smiled back at me and then took over the conversation. Her first exchange was simply, hello. I said, hello back. And then with the audacity that this six-year-old child had and took me by surprise, she said, taking complete control of the situation, what's your name? John. 
what's yours? Sama. And then I said, and these would be the last words we would exchange between each other, Sama, you're beautiful. Her face lit up and she just started laughing. And she turned around to mom and dad as if to say, you heard that, didn't you? Turned back continuously laughing at me as the crowd broke and the van made its way down the street. And at the bottom of the hill it turned. I could still hear her laughter. Our little coils of love. How do we orient towards the stranger even in those places where we've been given every right to fear the stranger? If our inclination is to love our neighbor as ourself, then we will always do all that God requires of us. And it is this world that I want to live in. And so I only ask of you what has always only been asked of us. That each day we make a choice to contribute our little toil of love. And believe and know that that's large enough for anyone.